This is episode 119 of the Two Birth and Beyond podcast. We're so excited to have you with us on this episode of Two Birth and Beyond. I'm Jesse Mundell, mom, kinesiologist, and fitness coach to pregnant and current moms. And I'm Anita Lambert, mom, pelvic health and orthopedic physiotherapist with a focus on women's health. On the show, we provide information and education on fitness, the pelvic floor, fertility, pregnancy, birth, postpartum, and women's health. We offer a brave space to have candid and vulnerable conversations on the struggles and joys of motherhood, including all aspects of our physical, mental, and emotional health. While you're listening in, please remember that the information on the show is not meant to diagnose or treat any medical conditions. Please speak with your medical provider for all things related to your healthcare. We're so excited to have you. Let's dive into today's show. Hey, it's Anita here. Before we jump into today's episode, I want to share some exciting news that I'm offering a special limited time bonus live online workshop to those who enroll in my Bump to Birth program by midnight Thursday, May 7th, 2020. This live group interactive online workshop will be happening later in June, where I'll be teaching you and your partner specific strategies to help them support you during labor and also for them to understand how they can best support you during your postpartum recovery. This is information I share with all of my in-person prenatal physiotherapy clients and their partners and that I used myself to prepare for birth. Bump to Birth is a five-week online program guiding you step-by-step to understand and connect to your pelvic floor in pregnancy, strategies to prepare your mind, body, and pelvic floor for labor and for pushing, and guidance for your first six weeks postpartum. This program helps you feel more confident and prepared physically and mentally for birth, which will give you a head start on your postpartum recovery, plus you have lifetime access beyond when you complete the five-week program. It's important to me that you feel supported in your pregnancy as you prepare for birth and after baby arrives. So in the program, you have access to the private members-only Facebook group, where you can ask questions, plus I do live group Q&A sessions bi-weekly. If you're ready to feel more connected and understand how to prepare your pelvic floor for birth and get a head start on your postpartum recovery, Join myself and other expecting moms in the Bump to Birth course community today. And don't miss out on the special limited time bonus workshop. Head to bumptobirthcourse.com for more information and to enroll today. So welcome back to another episode of the Two Birth and Beyond podcast. It's Anita here, and I'm excited to have a special guest on today, Martine Chiasson, on the podcast, who I met this past year through my online course, the Bump to Birth uh, program, when she was pregnant with her third child, Sloan. And Martine is a certified kinesiologist who specializes in prenatal and postnatal fitness and the founder of the Mama Movement Studio, which is in Moncton, New Brunswick, here in Canada, Mm. and has a passion for supporting women along their motherhood journeys, whether trying to conceive, pregnant, or if they're postpartum. So thank you so much, Martine, for being on the podcast. 
Thank you for having me, Anita. Just before we hit record, Martina and I were chatting at like we've we've connected with each other even through social media, even kind yeah. of before the my program was out, and then connecting through the program, and then since then, which has been amazing. So we're gonna have Martine share a bit more about herself, and then also about her own offerings as a fitness professional too. So yeah, can you share just a bit more with our audience about yourself? Yes. So uh, I'm a French Acadian actually from the East Coast, Moncton, New Brunswick. I have three children, uh, two boys, and just gave birth to a daughter. And I have a very supportive husband that allows me to do all of this um, on the side. And uh, yeah, I have, I opened up my own studio here in Moncton a year ago for prenatal and postnatal fitness. So I'm very passionate about everything, pregnancy, postpartum, trying to conceive all of it. And uh, yeah, that's pretty much it. Amazing. And, you know, we've had a lot of people, we've had other episodes about birth stories and Jess and I have shared our own birth stories. We've had other um, people on who've shared theirs and we continue to get the feedback of people want to hear about preparing for birth, but also about those birth experiences because some people hear all positive or all negative or a mix, or they hear, they don't actually hear any versions of it. So that is, that's one of the reasons why I wanted to have Martine on as well, because now she has three birth experiences that she can share today. Um, and then as well, how she prepared and about her recovery. So I'm curious, um, how did you feel during your previous pregnancies to Sloan? So my first pregnancy and my second were pretty similar in the sense that I had that first trimester nausea and I felt really good throughout my pregnancies. I've been fortunate enough to feel uh, well physically, mentally and emotionally and I have great support at home as well. So I'm really privileged in that in that sense. Um, the only thing that was really a bother with those pregnancies was symphysis pubis dysfunction. So um, and, and comparing my pregnancies now and the knowledge that I gained over the years, just working in this field, um, with my first, I remember like pushing myself physically. So I was running a lot longer than I was with my other pregnancies. And I kept pushing through that synthesis pubis, like discomfort. And then looking back now, I'm like, oh my gosh, like the things you learn. So really aside from that, I had, I had really great pregnancies. Um, so I've been fortunate enough for those. Yeah, that's, yeah, it's great to hear. Yeah, the differences between them or the similarities. Yeah. And for anyone listening um, who doesn't know what symphysis pubis is, and I know it's hard um, without... I love doing video for the reason of we could show you on my pelvis model, but to describe, so you may be experiencing this if you're currently pregnant or have been pregnant in the past, it is that pain that's in the front of your pelvis. So where the two sides of your pelvis meet in the very front in the center. Um, and that can be really common in pregnancy. And I think a lot of people are told of like, you just, just deal with it. Like there's actually nothing you can do. Uh, but as Martine has learned through her um, training and what I work with through my clients is actually there is a lot we can do to help with that pain, even at the end of pregnancy. Mm -hmm. um, so it's something we'll, we'll dive in a little bit more about. Um, but yeah, and, and I'm curious too, how is the, the mental and emotional um, experience for you between the, the pregnancies? Did it feel the same? Was it different? Uh, obviously with the first pregnancy, you have a lot more time 
right? I like could get home. I could eat supper when I wanted to. I could lay on the couch. I could sleep in on the weekends. And then with my second, I have a very active four and a half year old, which at the time was a year and a half. Um, and I gave birth when he was two. So I was running around a whole lot more um, with my second pregnancy and even with my, my third pregnancy. Um, and it's funny because even with how I coach women, it's like, okay, this is, this is the optimal posture and blah, 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 blah. And then you realize when you're in your second pregnancy, that all goes out the window. You're like, okay, I have to like sneakily come out of bed after he fell asleep and it's not the optimal I'm crunching which is completely normal like all these things so physically it was more challenging mentally and emotionally it was more challenging again because you're you're wanting to move with your child you're wanting to be there but then you're more exhausted you have nausea you're having discomfort and pains so it's a it's just more challenging as I had more pregnancies uh yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I find the fatigue. It's, it's interesting. I felt like that with my second that you're right. When you have, my daughter was almost three when my second was born and just their life doesn't stop. Right. So they're go, go, go constantly moving. So yeah, compared to your first pregnancy, when you don't have that yeah. other little person to chase after it does physically and mentally and emotionally, the exhaustion is a bit, a bit different. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. That's, that's probably what really was the difference with my other pregnancies is was the fatigue and like the demand. And so with the symphysis pubic pain that you did have, what um, did you end up doing any treatment for it in your first or second pregnancy or what was different between them? So my first pregnancy, I didn't do treatment because in Moncton at the time, we only had one pelvic health physio and she was on mat leave. So it didn't, it didn't work out that we could see each other. Um, so yeah, that's probably another reason why I kind of pushed myself a little more. And at the time, I mean, in the last maybe two, three years, there's so much knowledge now that we have on pains and discomfort during pregnancy and how we can actually manage them instead of just living with it. Um, So I had just pushed through and with my second, I gained so much knowledge and did a lot of research and you and Jesse had um, launched your podcast at the time. So I kind of got right into it for my pregnancy and my my recovery for that second child. Um, So I could apply more things on how to manage that that discomfort that I had during the pregnancy. But it makes a huge difference when you have the knowledge and education and the resources mm-hmm. to, to know how to manage it. Mm-hmm. And then did you feel, what did you do in, um, in Sloan's pregnancy for it? So, so Sloan, um, I went to see a pelvic health physio, um, took your course, listened to your podcast, uh, did the spinning babies. Um, and I focused a lot on relaxation. So the bloom breath and stuff like that, um, from your course and the, the poses as well that have that really help with that, like tightness in the hips and that the flexion and stuff like that. Um, but with Sloan, I was way more prepared for, for birth, for birth, even though I had the experience. I had more knowledge. I had more confidence going into it. Um, So it was just more of a nice experience going into it versus my other two pregnancies. 
Mm -hmm. No, that's, that's so helpful to, I will talk a bit more about Sloan's pregnancy too. And I was wondering, because I know with when we've talked um, kind of before over email and what you've shared about your experiences, and you've mentioned that you have had two miscarriages in the past. Um, Would you be open to sharing a bit about kind of how those experiences um, kind of where they were between your other pregnancies and if that impacted how you felt during your other pregnancies? Oh, absolutely. So um, it was my first uh, pregnancy loss was in November, 2018. So I was six weeks pregnant and I had already Kai and Finn. So it was technically our third pregnancy. Um, And again, we were ecstatic. You're you're excited. And then you have the anxiety of that first trimester. And I remember um, having a little bit of spotting and I kind of had that gut feeling that something was wrong. And then with all like running around and trying to find some answers, um, which again, whoever's had a pregnancy loss will understand in infertility that the resources and the knowledge and the support isn't what it should be still to this day. But when we found out, I, we kind of thought, okay, we're, we're a statistic now. Like we can grieve um, and move past it. And with that pregnancy, we hadn't shared the news with anyone yet. So we're really private. So it was nice for us to grieve without having to share it with anyone. And then we got pregnant again, two months after that. Um, And again, we're ecstatic. And this time it felt really good. And I already thought I was a statistic. So I was like, okay, we got that out of the way. Like this one's going to be a healthy pregnancy. So that one we had our, in New Brunswick, we have an appointment between 10 and 12 weeks only. Um, and then we have a dating scan to kind of know what the, the due date is. So we had that, saw the heartbeat, listened to the heartbeat. So we shared the news with everyone um, at that point. And the due date for that one was in October. So in late April, I was 15 weeks pregnant and I had started spotting and I had that gut feeling again of like, this is not normal. And then when I called, they were like, you know, it's quite normal to have that type of bleeding during pregnancy. And I was like, yeah, but not for my pregnancies, like my previous pregnancies and my experience with the, the loss prior to this had me nervous. So I told them I was coming in basically. And I came in on the day of the 16 weeks. And I remember kind of laying there on the bed and being like, okay, I had that little baby bump and the nurse was trying to find that heartbeat. And I remember like, this shouldn't be taking this long at 16 weeks. And she's like, no, no, you probably just put lotion on and like, we're going to, we're going to find it. And then a second nurse was working and she kind of was looking for it. And then it had been like 30 minutes. And like, I've had pregnancies before. So I, I knew that 30 minutes looking for a heartbeat kind of wasn't the norm. So when we did a scan, um, we found out that the baby had no heartbeat. And what was a little crazy for me, which I was alone at that appointment, was that the baby had stopped growing basically when I had my initial dating scan. So it was the same size as my dating scan at 10 and a half weeks. So that baby was not living, but inside my uterus for that extra six weeks. And what the doctor had mentioned was basically 
the uterus and the brain weren't talking to each other. So my belly kept growing and the uterus kept growing, but the baby wasn't living. So that was devastating for me. And I was, I remember being alone and having to call my husband and being like, so there's no heartbeat and you don't know how to process it. It's just, it just sucks. (laughs) Like it's your heartbroken you can't explain it. And then this time, what was really heart-wrenching for me was that I had to live it publicly. Like I had shared it with family and friends, um, with all the women that I, I see in the studio. We were all living those experiences together. So every time I had to kind of mention like again and again, like, okay, by the way, before you ask, you know, we lost the baby. And so the process for me of losing the baby I had a few options. I had a DNC option. I could take a medication to induce labor or um, because it was under 13 weeks, I had the option to just forego it naturally. And I mean, I was a total wreck on that Friday afternoon and couldn't make a decision. And the doctor was really supportive, which I had so much appreciation for in that moment. And I was like, I cannot make a decision right now. Like I need the weekend to process. So I had an appointment on that Wednesday. Um, and I remember going home, obviously in a meltdown and like just telling my body, like, okay, now that, now that I know, like it's time for us to let go and part ways. And on that Sunday evening, um, I lost the baby naturally. So I went into labor, which was a total different experience for me from the first loss. The first loss was, was just bleeding and felt more of like a period. But this second loss, because it was later, I had gone into labor. Like I had contractions and they were intense. And I remember, and this was with the clearance of the doctor that I, that I, could, I could forego it naturally. Um, but she had mentioned like, just make sure you're not hemorrhaging. And then all of a sudden, like when I passed the baby, I remember there was a lot of blood and it just like wouldn't stop. And the contractions were getting way more intense after. So I told my husband, I was like, I think I'm hemorrhaging. Like we need to go because I was like the blood wouldn't stop. And then we were going to the hospital and I lost consciousness in the car. Um, So in the end, I did hemorrhage and I did lose that baby. Um, So emotionally for us, it was really hard because we wanted a third child. But then after two consecutive losses, oh, you're like thinking about everything. You're thinking about like, do we, do we do this again? And if we do it again and we get another loss, like can I emotionally go through this again? And then physically, like I had hemorrhage, which was, which was dangerous. Um, so it was like all these things go through your mind. And we took the weekend to process. We didn't tell anyone until I went into the hospital. Then I had to tell people. But yeah, the, those two experiences were really hard. But there's still like I can still think about them in a beautiful and positive way. It's weird. I always like to look at my pregnancies and my birth experiences in a positive light. And they're, they're part of my journey. Um, so I'm really thankful for that. And then we got pregnant with Sloan three weeks after that, which was, which was scary. And I did hemorrhage at eight weeks with Sloan. I had a subchorionic, uh, hematoma. So that threw me, 
for another emotional round. But yeah, so that's kind of our our story. But we have our little rainbow baby now, and we we don't regret it at all. Oh, well, thank thank you so much for sharing that. I wasn't sure where. Um, where those those two losses kind of yeah. fit in your your journey um and i i really thank you because i think a lot of listeners have experienced losses and to hear someone else's experience going through it um and kind of how you felt afterwards and you know thinking ahead for another baby mm-hmm. i just think it's helpful to to hear those stories so thank you oh absolutely thank yeah. you we, we don't hear them often we're starting a lot more to to hear about those stories um and it's the processing and so obviously the feedback that you get from people that you have to take it with a grain of salt sometimes but mm-hmm. no they were beautiful experiences either yeah. way. and we'll we'll talk a bit more about kind of how you felt during kind of sloan's pregnancy but if we go back a little bit to preparing for your two, your um, son's birth, so your first two births, um, how did you prepare for those? So with the first two births, I stayed active. I've always been a physically active person. I was an athlete before, so it's kind of just something I do, and it's part of my habits. Um, so I stayed active. Um, we did the prenatal class at the hospital that they offered. I read books, listened to some, well, not, no, no podcast at the time that had actually legitimate information, but I did research. I was, I was doing a PhD at the time. So I had um, a research background and was just kind of trying to absorb all the information. Um, but yeah, and I did the spinning babies technique as well um, to prepare for, for birth as well. Yeah, that's, yeah, it's always helpful to hear kind of what people are doing. What were some of the books that you found helpful to read or not helpful to read too? <laughs> yeah, they, <laughs> they weren't really helpful. It's the typical, like you, you're giving like the what to expect books and then mm-hmm. you, you go through them and you're like, this is not helpful. Like the baby's the size of a banana, like <laughs> great, but that's not helping me prepare for the actual birth or postpartum experience and that was that's what I was looking for and and now that I get feedback from a lot of um, pregnant and postpartum individuals it's exactly that that they're looking for is that education and knowledge of of their bodies going through the experiences and did you find because you said you did the hospital prenatal Mm -hmm. course where you were um how did you find that because I know there can it can vary from hospital to hospital and then also hospital versus a private um class but yeah how did you find like the information that you were receiving from it so in our region we only had this was almost five years ago only had the option of the hospital um prenatal classes and it was a day like a Saturday um, it was an eight hour day. They go through this, the same stuff that probably they go through like 15 years ago. Um, they go through the typical like pain management, um, the different types of, of birth options, but you came out of, like we came out of there knowing just kind of the, the surface of what goes on in a, in labor and delivery um and nothing postpartum like absolutely nothing postpartum and I had done a breastfeeding class as well which had a lot of knowledge and was really super helpful 
but that prenatal class I felt was missing so much information and they're cramming it also in one day. So you're just bombarded with so much information and videos and all of these things. So they're just only touching the surface of everything so that you, if you don't remember anything, you won't remember it, especially when you're in labor, like nothing was sticking in my mind. And that's probably why, like with my first birth, I felt out of control during labor because like I had no remembrance of what I had learned in the prenatal classes. <laughs> so yeah. And yeah. and now in our region, now that we're in this pandemic, obviously we don't have the the prenatal classes, but one of the hospitals actually is not giving it anymore. So that's interesting as well. Yeah. Do they, so they're not doing like a virtual option or they're offering the recordings now, but it's not clear as to when they offer it and how they offer it to everyone. So, and, and again, it's, it's not always everyone that has access to computer and internet that can get that information. Right. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, no, it's interesting. And I, I would agree that I find that um, with prenatal classes, sometimes I find exactly what you were talking about, how, the information is kind of given and again, depends totally on the class. Um, but sometimes the information is given kind of practiced, maybe not. And then, and then, yeah, in the moment of labor, whether it's you giving birth or your partner support people, it's hard to then like think back, which is why I encourage my clients like with prenatal classes and what we do in terms of the physiotherapy and the labor prep side, I'm like, practice this, practice this with your partner, go over it and over and over. And while in pregnancy, you may think of like, whatever, but I'm like, it pays off when you're in labor because your partner having that confidence and practicing it, because it's not even just for us, the people who are giving birth. I'm like, it's for them that they want to be able to support you and they want to, you know, have at least a few strategies that they're like, okay, I know how to do this. I can, we could at least try it and maybe it's going to help you. Um, so I find it makes such a big difference. The, the practicing, um, and the, the kind of reminders to practice too. Oh, absolutely. Mm-hmm. And did they, did they talk about the pelvic floor at all? Cause sometimes Kegels will be mentioned maybe, or maybe perineal massage, but it's usually pretty brief and there's not a whole lot of information. No. So pelvic floor wasn't mentioned, but Kegels were mentioned in the sense of that typical prior thought of what we talked about Kegels, which was basically like do Kegels your like whole pregnancy and nothing about relaxation and neither how to push. Like I've learned so much from your podcast and your course on, on pushing, which I find so interesting that we're in 2020 and we're not talking about it even more in prenatal classes offered in hospitals and different birthing positions and all these things that are so helpful when you're in labor um, that can change your experience like so much mm-hmm. yeah just but knowing yeah. The, the the options and how to connect but I find it's the the pelvic floor side right that it's these kind of muscles not really talked about no one is taught how to connect to them or relax them as you mentioned and then mm-hmm. in labor you realize how 
that can that can be helpful for a lot of people to know how to connect to those and and yeah. more about the relaxation it's not that you're doing kegels while you while you're giving birth <laughs> you want to be doing the opposite um so yeah that it'll actually be, it'll be great to hear kind of how um if you connected or how that kind of brought into your birth story so if you're um able to share about your two first um birth experiences yeah so with kai um I know it doesn't happen often, but I went on my due date. So I went at 40 weeks on my due date. Um, and it started in the morning, but I had a slow leak and it wasn't discussed during my prenatal visits what a slow leak was. So I kind of didn't know it was a slow leak until I got on the phone saying like, hey, my contraction started. Then they're like, did you lose any fluid? I'm like, oh yeah, it's been like two days. <laughs> and they're like, okay, you need to come in now. But my, my contractions were already like five minutes apart. So I was in labor. Um, so I got to the hospital in the morning and um, they induced me even if I was in labor. And looking back now, it's part of the experience and, and learning so much and kind of how I applied your course in this third pregnancy. But yeah, so they induced me kind of without knowledge of why. It was kind of just like, we need to induce you. And I was kind of like, well, I'm already in labor, but sure. And with the induction, um, so I had the IV right away and was maxed on the Pitocin right away because they really wanted me to dilate. So I, when I went in, I was at two centimeters. And this was at 8 a.m. And I remember at 11 a.m. looking at my husband and being like, I need something because this is really intense. And my birth preparation plan at the time was to go as natural as possible. And I wanted to kind of see if I could give birth in a squatting position. Um, but I remember at 11 a.m. feeling defeated and being like, I need something because this is so intense. And she checked me at 11 and, and I hadn't dilated. And I was like, okay, like this might be normal. But then two hours passed and I still hadn't dilated. And then I was like, okay, can I just have the epidural? And she's like, no, you can't get in until you're at three centimeters. This is, was the protocol for that weekend, apparently. Um, and I remember being like, okay, so I'm one centimeter away like I'm on Pitocin like this is gonna happen like any second like it's gonna go and then hours pass and she's checking me and I'm still at two centimeters and I remember being like okay like there's something going on and she's like you can have like uh, morphine and I was like no like if I'm getting something it's the epidural um, and then it was three o'clock so it had been seven hours and she checked me and she's like you're still at two and I was like oh my gosh like I'm maxed out on the Pitocin like if I'm not dilating on the Pitocin like like I kind of knew where it was gonna go I was like okay if I'm at two centimeters we're seven hours in I'm maxed out on the Pitocin like how is this gonna end up and finally they gave me the epidural so I'm like perfect I can relax a little bit my husband went to Subway, which was down the street. He went for his sandwich and I was like, I'm going to take a nap. We're going to slowly like ride this out. And before I took a nap, she's like, I'm just going to check you. And then she's like, you're at 10 centimeters. Like the head's right there. We need to push. And I'm like, 
no, 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 no. I'm like, my husband's at Subway. <laughs> like, I'm taking a nap. Like, this is not happening right now. And it did. So I, I was pushing for two hours, um, completely frozen from the epidural. And uh, we had to take Kai out with the forceps. And in the end, the reason um, it took so long, his umbilical cord was so short. So at the end of the contraction, he kind of just would bounce back up. So with the forceps, they took him out. Um, and I remember the doctor coming up to me and saying, like, congratulations, and everything went well. Um, you had a third degree tear. But usually when we take the forceps out, we have to sacrifice a little bit of the, the mom's body. And I'm like, sure, like, this is like, I just had my child on me. I'm like, this is fine. Um, and then I get to my room and everything was, was good. And then the epidural slowly goes away and then the reality of postpartum hit me like a freight train and I remember being like oh my gosh like what does a third degree tear mean and the discomfort that came with that and pushing for two hours um so the recovery with my first birth was traumatic almost um, even with the knowledge I had, it was for the first two weeks, had a hard time sitting, had a hard time walking, couldn't feel a Kegel. And you also have the emotional and mental side of like the hormones running. And then everyone that's coming through the door to, to meet the new baby. And you're just like standing there. Like, I have no idea what's going on with my body right now. Like I'm swollen. And also, when I gave birth, they were super busy at the hospital. So I had no postpartum care. Like I only received a meal 36 hours after I gave birth. Like I hadn't gotten breakfast, lunch, supper for that whole day. Um, and the day after and couldn't get an ice pack. Like couldn't get the support I needed. So it kind of started off rough. And I remember they took the baby away for vaccination, which I was told could stay in the room. So that was traumatic. And when I processed it like months after, notice that all of that was traumatic for me without knowing that it was traumatic. Um, so Kai's recovery was harder instantly, but it was like long-term, I took my time getting back into exercise and running and stuff like that. So I, I was, fortunate enough to not have um, any leaking or pelvic floor symptoms that really bothered me or anything. But at that six-week checkup, I remember challenging the doctor and being like, so should I get like perineal massage? Should I go to the pelvic health physio? And they're like, he's like, no, no, everything's fine. Like your stitches are out. So you're, you're good to go. And I remember being like, I had a third degree tear. And you're giving me the green light to just jump right into things um, without that pelvic health physio uh, re like referral. So um, yeah, so that was my first experience with Kai and with Finn uh, labor started at in the evening um, in August of 2017. And it was kind of the same story went in, uh, contractions are really intense really close apart uh for seven to eight hours and got the epidural and then when I got the epidural I dilate like instantly 
and then started pushing and Finn was a nine pound baby and I pushed four times but only had one stitch uh, for him but that recovery was a lot better I think I also knew what to expect postpartum going into that postpartum chapter and also having just one stitch made a difference for my my recovery and I was walking and I was breathing and I was just more educated going in and the knowledge makes such a huge difference for the recovery part as much as as it helps for the birth so much for the recovery part when when you're dealing with being a new mom and and breastfeeding and all these hormones and and then trying to understand what's going on with your body when I had the knowledge I didn't have to think about what to do it kind of came naturally to be like okay I need to retrain my body to to breathe again and to relax that pelvic floor and to engage and um so his recovery was was better compared to the first one yeah that's um thank you for sharing both of those that they do I mean they sound like different experiences yeah and how you said like the knowledge going in and and that as well how did you find with your second because it seemed to go much faster like the, the like labor and the pushing mm-hmm. was definitely much faster mm-hmm. did you do you remember feeling different too and I mean different too without the induction yeah. um <laughs> so that that all plays a role in it but do you remember kind of how you felt with it which I know going through it twice myself like you go into kind of labor land so you may yeah. not it may be a bit of a blur um but I'm curious if you kind of recognize or remember kind of your feelings different between them like going into like while you were in labor like the differences between your first and your second oh yeah the first time around I remember feeling like completely out of control especially with the induction and me striving to get some relief out of it and not being able to get that relief was literally just a survival mode feeling of losing control and just getting one contraction at a time and just feeling depleted a little with no progress in dilation. And with my second, um, the progress was a little better, but I kind of knew a few hours in when I wasn't dilating that much that it was kind of going to be the same story. And to this day, I still don't know. Maybe I, I just, my body can't dilate that much for some reason without the help of the epidural. Um, But the second time around, emotionally, I was more focused. I felt more in control. Um, But when it came to consent and the the support from the medical staff, I think it was kind of like the first time around. It was, I look back at those two births a little disappointed in myself um, for not speaking up or asking questions. and kind of just saying yes, when really I was thinking in my heart and in my head, no, but you know how you're, you're in labor land, right? So you're in this out of body experience and you're just kind of like going through the motion and you're like, sure, whatever. So one thing I can say is that like, if you are fortunate enough to have a partner in labor to be that second voice so that when you get into that zone where you can't really articulate or or vocalize what you really want that second voice can come in and be like no 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 remember you wanted this or like remember to breathe this way and I with my second um 
birthing experience, my husband was really key in being my second voice because I had, there was a moment where I was like, okay, I want the epidural. And, and they were like, no, we're going to give you, like, we're going to run the bath and we're going to get you in there. And I was like, well, I really want the epidural. And, and I know the anesthesiologist is here now. And she was like, no, we're going to get in the bath. And I remember just being like, okay, like a contraction was coming up and I was just like, okay, like, sure, whatever. My husband was like, no, this is not what you're asking for. You're asking for the epidural. There's no medical reason that you can't get it. Obviously, if there's a medical reason, of course. And I remember being like, oh my gosh, thank you so much for being my voice of reason that I can't vocalize right now. So that second time around, I felt, I felt a little more in control. I think it's helpful to bring up. And I think it, it is very tough that it can be so common to go back and think why why didn't I say something why didn't Mm -hmm. I speak up and how you said like even though internally you feel you want to say something but it just it doesn't come out and to know that it's something that it's it's not your fault for feeling that way and for anyone listening if you're totally understanding what Martine is saying it's um it is not your fault for not feeling like you couldn't speak up that it's like when you're in that in I call it labor land in that primal brain um and with all the different factors going on it can be challenging to to speak Mm -hmm. up but even to speak like in labor like especially as you get further in active labor Mm -hmm. like your words become very like yes and no or not even that like you just can't even speak so I totally what Martine's talking about is you know talking to your partner have your partner really go through a lot of education have them understand the importance of advocating and the idea of of asking questions and not necessarily I think sometimes people think it's like of questioning the person who may be giving the recommendation but it's not that and I find a lot of times care providers are like yeah they're fine with you know answering questions they don't always get asked them so it's kind of one of those things where you're just you're asking questions to gain information so you can actively be a part of that birth experience versus mm-hmm. feeling like things are happening to you um, because maybe you didn't get all the different options or information. Yeah, that's so key what you just said, like that it's happening to you is exactly how I felt, especially that first time around. Like it's just happening to me. They're making the decisions for me. I'm just here giving birth and they're kind of documenting how it's going to end up. So it's so true that like, that's how you said it beautifully in that way. Yeah. And I think it's, it is one of those things where it's, I know, like, I know so many amazing care providers and they, they want the best birth Mm -hmm. for you. So it's that, that idea of like working together and letting them know um, what you're needing. And I talk about, we talk about like in the bump to birth course about creating preferences versus, um, birth plans so that you can work through with your partner. But also I say, you know, talk to your care provider beforehand and go through preferences of like, um, things you would like if, you know, medically things are going like all these different things. Right. And to keep it concise, the one I put in the course and I give to my clients, the template, it's one page. Mm-hmm. And it's one page for so many different reasons, but I know care providers also appreciate that. They just want to know the key, like really important points for you versus bringing in like a five page document. They're not able to take all that in. Um, so kind of keeping it concise and very to the point of what you really want out of it. I find care providers really, you know, take that in and appreciate it and really want you to have the birth that you want. 
Well, absolutely. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the goal is for everyone to have kind of a beautiful experience, the medical providers, just as much as that, that birthing person. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so going into then with Sloan's uh, pregnancy, how did you prepare differently for her pregnancy? Well, going into her birth while you were pregnant versus with the boys? So I did the same, um, stayed active. So I did a lot of exercise. Um, I went to pelvic health physio, uh, prenatally, um, just to give, give me a baseline of where I was at compared to the postpartum stage. Um, and that was just great feedback. And it's also that I find that prenatal appointments just fun to discuss. Like you can have some back and forth about like labor and what it can entail and where you you're at and maybe if I'm holding tension or not and how to release that tension. So it was really um, informative, that prenatal appointment with the pelvic health physio, Um, because I didn't really have any pain. And the pain that I did have, again, was symphysis pubis dysfunction, but I could manage it really well this pregnancy with key things that I learned from your course and through my education as well. Um, So that was really great. And I did meditation. I had done meditation with my other pregnancies as well. So meditation, um, your bump to birth course, uh, spitting babies again, and then focus a lot with the relaxation part. Because I think I tend to um, be a little more hypertensive in the pelvic floor and hold tension there. So I really focused a lot more just on relaxation with the pelvic floor during my pregnancy. Yeah, I think that's that's really helpful for people to hear because I know some people this might be the first time that they're hearing about all this relaxation. Because yeah. <laughs> um, I think sometimes when people hear about like training for birth, um, that it's all about like strength training. And you and I both love strength training. So mm-hmm. yes, in general, that can be good. However, when I, t- when I often talk about like like training for birth, it can often be about letting go. And often if you come from that strength training background, that can be a challenge to kind of wrap your head around, but also really important because you're so used to being on the other end of it, that Mm -hmm. to know how to let go physically, but also mentally. So you mentioned like meditation um, or affirmations and everyone finds something that, you know, fits with them. I know some people, their preference is music. Some people do prefer silence. Um, but I find I was similar with the meditation and listening to during pregnancy. I did the hypnobirthing tracks. Um, and then in the bump to birth course, I had my natural path, who was my doula with my first birth, create a beautiful audio track that is a meditation and affirmation track. And it includes the flower bloom breath cues that I often use for the pelvic floor. So I find clients have enjoyed that too, because they've practiced that and then using it in pregnancy, but also when you're in labor, it's just this familiarity. And when you relax your mind, like that's a big part of relaxing your body too. Like they very much go together that if you just focus on just the physical aspect, sometimes the the mindset um, is something that might be missing that needs to be addressed mm-hmm. to really help let your body go. Yeah, it definitely helps. And that recording was so helpful and just relaxing. And it was kind of part of my ritual at the end of the day once the kids were in bed, it was like kind of my time where I was like focusing on relaxation. So it was a really uh, important aspect of my my preparation, actually. Yeah. Oh, that's so that's so good to hear. I'm glad it's been used a lot, um, which has been really, really good. What? Yeah. What did exercise look like for you in Sloan's pregnancy? 
with Kai, it was a higher intensity. And looking back, it was it was a little too much of impact. But now that I I work with prenatal and postnatal women, I modify as I go and I let go of the impact a lot earlier. And my mindset for exercising, especially with this last pregnancy, just feeling good in my body. So like the achy feeling and mentally just releasing like this. I love exercise and I love it for the reason of like that mental release. Like for me, it's like if I can get 20 minutes in a day to just move my body, whatever it is, it's kind of my like go-to happy place. So for me, exercise in this pregnancy was at different stages, different trimesters. I was challenging myself in different ways, but appropriate for what my body was needing in that moment. Less impact more strengthening, more mobility, and a lot of relaxation. Yeah, great to hear the variety that yeah. you that you included. Um, and then, so how was Sloan's birth? How did labor start off? How did things progress? I went early with, uh, with Sloan. With Kai went on the date. With Finn, I went four days past. And I will say, and I learned this from you, Anita, through your <laughs> podcast, this time I didn't share my due date. And it was magical. <laughs> and... <laughs> It was setting my boundaries and it was so important for me this time because my first two times people were texting me and calling me and especially when I went past the due date, it was like, oh my gosh, I'm taking a shower, guys. If I'm not answering my phone, it's not because I'm in the hospital, it's because I'm taking a shower. <laughs> so this time I was like, I'm totally taking Anita's route and I'm not sharing my due date. And it was this, like a super simple boundary, but an important one for me. Other than not having people bother me by the end of my pregnancy, it helped me so much mentally not anticipating when it was going to happen. I kind of forgot what my due date was. Like people, people kept asking me and I would say like mid-February and then I'd turn to my husband and be like, I'm not sure. Is it actually the 10th? I think it's the 10th, right? Like, so it, it was letting go of like that anticipation and like thinking that it was going to happen a certain day. But yeah, so I went into labor early morning and that whole week I was really uncomfortable. And I remember feeling like it was going to happen soon because I was really uncomfortable and I hadn't had that feeling with Kai and Finn. Um, so I started in the wee hours of the morning and they were already consistent at like four or five minutes apart. But this time I wanted to labor at home a little more before going to the hospital and so I labored on the ball, basically that whole, a good two hours. And then at 5 a.m., I was like, I'm going to go in the bath um, to relax and really see if the, like, the contractions weren't going to get a little more intense. And the boys usually wake up at like 6 a.m. So I was like, this is my opportunity to like get into the zone. So I put my meditation music on, lighted some candles, got in the bath. When I got out, it was two, three minutes apart. And I remember in one of your podcasts, you had shared your birth story and you had mentioned when you were laboring with Jack, how at one point you were like, okay, Pippa's got to go. Like, <laughs> like at this point, she's got to go. Like now it's entering a new level. And I remember the kids got up and I was laboring and I didn't want them to know because my, my oldest is a little bit of an empath. So I knew he was going to feel that energy and, and question a lot why I was getting into certain positions so I remember being like okay in between contractions I'm mom and then in contractions I'm hiding in a room somewhere so he's like can I get a glass of milk and I'm like just a minute 
And then I come back and I pour a glass of milk, get the porridge out. I'm like, okay, you got like 30 seconds. You guys have me for another 30 seconds before I, I kill get in the room and get through this contraction. And I looked at my husband like stay 30 and I was like, we got to go because I can't stay in the zone and have all of this energy around me and the noise and the questions and like the needing me. I needed to be in the zone and just focus on labor. And I remember like it was a Friday morning, like the kids are supposed to go to like home daycare right so I call I call the child care provider that we have at 6 45 and I'm like um I know we usually drop off the kids at 8 15 but I'm in labor and like we gotta go and I live 30 minutes away from the hospital so we dropped the kids off at 7 a.m my oldest we went outside and he looks outside he's like mom it's still dark out and I was like yeah we're getting in the car let's go so we got to the hospital and then we're getting really intense. So I was like, oh, I'm like this time in active labor. Like I must be like at five and six centimeters. And then she checks me and she's like, you're at three centimeters. And I was like, oh. but then I was excited because I was like, that's the highest I've ever been going into the hospital and that having that much labor. So yeah, it was 8 a.m. when it got in. Um, and the doctor at the hospital that we have, it's not OBs that um, are at the birth. We have like family physicians that do a rotation. So you never know which one you're going to get. Um, but she was super, super great for birth. She was like calm. The energy was like amazing. I explained to her my other two birthing experiences and also my hemorrhage um, with my last uh, pregnancy loss. And I was like, look, I'm not sure if I'm going to dilate. Like it's been five hours at this point. The history is that I don't, that I don't dilate. And I've been meditating in the car. I had my meditation going on. And I was like, we got this. Um, so in the end, I had the epidural. An hour later, I'm at six centimeters. And she came in. And what I noticed when I got to the hospital was that I was bleeding during my contractions. And I didn't think anything of it. At first, I just thought I was losing, losing amniotic fluid. And then the nurse was, I kept asking her and she kept kind of not mentioning anything until she was like, no, it's just a little bit of blood. And then when the doctor came in an hour after my epidural, she's like, okay, this is what's up. She's like, the baby's in a little bit of distress and you're losing a lot of blood. And she's like, I think the placenta you're having like a placenta abruption, like it's, it's detaching from the uterus. And that's why um, I was probably uncomfortable all week. And that when I had my contractions with Sloan, I never had a break. Like even when the contraction wasn't there, it didn't feel like a complete release of the contraction. My water hadn't broke. So she's like, I'm going to break your waters and we're going to see if that can accelerate things. And she's like, if not, we're going to have to move into a C-section. And I was like, that's, completely fine like whatever is if I can get out of here healthy um that's also not just the baby but mom as well um so she broke my water and as she was doing it I was at seven and then she left the room and I remember looking at the nurse five minutes later and being like do I have a contraction right now and she's like yep and I was like oh no my epidurals I'm freezing <laughs> like and then I had another contraction and I'm like oh no I'm like I need to push like that pushing sensation I was like I need to push and she's like are you sure like you were just at seven I was like you can check but I was like I'm pretty sure I'm 
pushing right now. And she's like, you're going to have to hold it. And I'm like, wow, I really want to push. So I was at 10 centimeters. So we didn't need to do the C-section. And then Sloan came out. She was healthy. She was my tiniest baby at seven pounds, five ounces. And she was beautiful. It was a really a nice, calming moment. And, and the energy in the room was really, really nice. As time went by, I was still hemorrhaging. So I had to have medication for the hemorrhage. In the end, I didn't need a transfusion. So it was, it was still a great experience. And my goal with all of my, my pregnancies and even my losses was to have a positive um, memory of it. And I can honestly say that with all the experiences I've had, they were all positive. Like I can still look back and smile on them and think like, oh, it's such a sweet moment, even like if I had different challenges in all of them. Um, but yeah, so this one was, was completely different. I had um, more bleeding, but so much more knowledge going in, so much more control on my emotions, on how to push, how to breathe, how to manage the discomfort um, through the contractions, which I learned so much through your bump to birth course. And my husband had to do a little bit of work <laughs> when I was laboring, but it felt great. Thank you for sharing that. I love hearing all three of your stories. What did you kind of use from the knowledge you would learn, whether it was from my course or from other courses or knowledge you gained? What did you kind of use during that labor that may have been different than the other ones? So for labor and even going into, I had practiced the flower uh, bloom breath mm-hmm. and I actually teach it in my classes because um, I think it's so key in knowing how to actually relax and lengthen the pelvic floor, which is so helpful when you're in your contraction, when you all you want to do is clench and fi- find that tension. Um, so that flower bloom breath and that, that visualization of it was really helpful during the contraction to m- remind myself to let go and embrace that contraction and let it happen so that we're getting closer to the, the actual baby in your arms moment. So that flower bloom breath I used my whole pregnancy and especially during birth and that fear tension cycle that you had mentioned in the course was, was super insightful when I was reading it. I was like, it's so true how you can manage that intensity. I don't like to use pain, but intensity during the contractions. So that was super helpful. And especially with, with Sloan, because I had two pregnancy losses and because with Sloan's early pregnancy, I thought we thought again, we were losing another baby. Um, I had anxiety going in. Like I thought we've made it to labor, but that, that moment, like I remember hitting like 30 weeks and feeling like, like all these emotions coming through, like, is it going to be a safe labor? Am I going to be okay? Is the baby going to be okay? And I remember going back to your, your course and grounding myself and being like, this is something you can control is your, your mindset going in and just surrendering to what it's going to be. And it helped me so much because when labor started, I felt relaxed and in control and I just kind of surrendered to the moment. So even though like there were complications in those moments, I wasn't even panicking. I was still calm and like telling myself like the baby's out, baby's healthy and they're taking care of me. And I'm still in this peaceful moment and I'm just surrendering and breathing through it. And it helped me so much to enjoy the moment, which was really key because I had just fear from my losses and that hemorrhaging at the beginning of the pregnancy. So that was really helpful. And and in labor, the sacral pressure and the, the hip squeeze. 
I was like, Jeremy is my husband's name. And I was like, in life, I remember in the hospital, I was like, whatever you do, just don't take your hands off my hips. <laughs> and I was like, every time there's a contraction, just squeeze. And I felt so good. And I hadn't done it with my two other births. It felt so good during this, this laboring, taking my mind off the contraction, but also really, it, ha- it has a release mechanism for some reason in the hips. And it, it just took that intensity away and I was like the doctor was talking to me I was like just hip squeeze oh that I'm so glad to hear that that both of those were really helpful because I talked to clients about that too I'm like practice it have your partner practice it and then oftentimes when their partner is in a session a physio session with them learning it I tell them just so you're aware if they really like this during labor you may be doing this for hours so be prepared and and sometimes like I'm like, you can get creative. You can use like sometimes for the double hip squeeze, you could use a hospital bed sheet and kind of wrap <laughs> around and do it that way. Or you tie a knot in the back around the sacrum and use that for sacral pressure. Because sometimes if you're doing it for hours, it is a lot on them. But I also remind the person giving birth, I'm like, don't feel bad about it. I'm like, you're the no. one going through labor. They can, you know, whether it's squeezing your hips, sacral pressure, any of those strategies, I'm like, mm-hmm. they can do it. You're going through labor. <laughs> <laughs> that, like the difference in the work and the energy it takes for a hip squeeze or yeah. giving birth is not the same. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. So, and, and also the ball. So you went through, mm-hmm. I think it's module. I'm not sure if it's three or four of your course. That one I really enjoyed. So I did a lot of prep work on the ball especially those last two weeks of like just releasing tension in my pelvic floor and in my hips because I taught classes up until three weeks before I gave birth so I just like was fatigued all the time but it helped relax the pelvic floor and when I was in labor with Sloan I used it for the whole two hours I was like and was super helpful and you had mentioned the peanut ball in the course feel I had never heard about the peanut ball and now I rave about the peanut ball to everyone I bought I had bought it on Amazon because I knew the hospital didn't have it and and I suggest everyone asking your hospital if they have it because it's they usually have the Swiss ball but they don't necessarily have the peanut ball and I knew I was probably going to get the epidural if it was an option for me just because I didn't dilate in my other birth but I was so excited to know that I could use the peanut ball even if I had an epidural to open up that inlet for birth and have the baby really come down into that that great position and also what I didn't know and was super um, excited for birth was that even if you have an epidural you don't have to be in a sitting position to give birth so that was exciting, although I, I didn't have the chance to use it just because my situation, they kind of wanted the baby out right away, but I had my peanut ball ready. And I was like, I'm going to do this sideline, which now I tell people, like, if you have an epidural, you don't just have that one option. And it's something that they don't teach in prenatal classes. Like they don't teach positions, which is remarkable. And they also don't give you the option that if you do have an epidural, you have more options, which is really interesting. And giving birth in that position is a lot more advantage for your body than pushing when you're sitting against gravity. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, it's I'm so glad I was going to ask you about the peanut ball, because I've connected with a number of people on the East Coast and um, not necessarily in Moncton, but in, in kind of different cities. And I'm always just like, do they have a peanut ball? Because I know more people are trying to get them. And here where I am in Peterborough, 
the hospital does have them, which I'm super excited about. I have had a lot of clients use them. And yeah, depending where you are, whether you're in Canada or outside of Canada, check with your hospital. Um, and Martine got hers on Amazon. Like there's so many great um, places you can get them now online. And yeah, they're, they can be most common for epidurals that they can be comfortable, but yeah, helping the pelvis, I say open. Um, but yeah, the idea of just like creating that space. Right. Mm-hmm. And I've had clients where like baby was in one position, so they were sunny side up and then the nurse ended up using the peanut ball, a few different positions and baby turned or they progressed really quickly. And all of these exciting things, there's been a few small studies done on the peanut ball and how helpful it can be specifically with an epidural. And I'm excited to see more. And, you know, and here I talk to all the, like the OBs and we have GPs here as well who do um, OB and the midwives and they all love the peanut ball. Um, and it's so simple. It's, it's an exercise ball shaped like a peanut shell. <laughs> so it's, it's pretty remarkable how helpful it can be. And yeah, the different pushing positions. Sideline can be a great position. Yeah. And I always tell people, you know, and that's why I like to do it in the course or in person where showing the sideline, have you practice sideline. And then when it comes to birth, you know, going with what position is needed, right? Kind of medically, what depending what's going on with you and baby, but to know there's options with an epidural or without. And yeah, and seeing kind of what feels best and what works best um, for you. So yeah. And also the breathing for pushing. Mm-hmm. So again, typically in our region, typically we're coached, we're coached breathing, right? So it's basically hold your breath and and push and with Kai it was a lot of hold your breath and push and I remember feeling like I had the epidural and I was pushing that way and I remember looking at my husband I was like I think I'm just pushing with my face like I'm holding my breath so much that I have no feedback from my body I have no idea what's going on and with Finn I was coached differently and she's like no like you can breathe in between your breaths because I with Kai it was just basically hold your breath and push and then take a deep like <gasps> gasp and push and with Finn it was a lot more of a relaxed pushing and with Sloan I remember she was like she didn't really coach me and I asked her like is there a certain way you want me to breathe and she's like well just push as hard as you can and I was like oh I'm using my (laughs) I'm using my knowledge on this one I was like no I'm not gonna hold my breath and like push from like exhaustion I was like I'm gonna use that bloom breath and and practice which is the opposite of what we're taught, right? Usually it's like inhale, let the the pelvic floor release and exhale, lift it up. But when you're pushing, you want to push and let go of that pelvic floor, right? So I was like, no, I'm using that technique this time around. It was like, I pushed five minutes with Sloan. So it was really, and I had no tearing. So my recovery with Sloan was, was really great as well. That's amazing. I love hearing kind of how you took all the knowledge you've learned from so many different places and just using that um, and how it felt different that time around. So that's amazing. Thank you for sharing that. And then in terms of we wanted to talk about your recovery with Sloan. And I just wanted to, for those of you wanting to find uh, Martine on social media, on Instagram, she's the mama movement. Um, And I wanted to pull up a beautiful post that she wrote when she was uh, 10 days postpartum with Sloan. And she said it was okay to read this. So um, I'll just kind of read through it. So we've been hibernating for the past 10 days, enjoying all the cuddles and our newest member of the family meet Sloan. I'm happy to share that we had a beautiful positive birthing experience just as we had hoped for. Although it's our third child, there is still so much to learn, so much unknown, so much we're not sure of, so much transition for our boys. It all feels new and yet different all over again. 
but we're sitting with it and allowing ourselves to go with the flow. These past few days, I've been practicing what I suggest to all the mamas I interact with, which is hunker down, get comfortable, rest, and recover. Allow yourself this time to reflect on your experience, how this transition makes you feel, what your current needs are, and allow space for all the feelings of joy, happiness, but also overwhelm and confusion. Physically honor your body and allow for it to recover and heal properly. Giving birth is is an experience that requires so much energy and strength and demands so much from all of the systems of your body. I also want to acknowledge that not everyone is privileged to do so, and our environment can impact how we can rest and recover after giving birth, which is also important to take into consideration. So I just thought that was so beautifully written. Maybe it takes you back to that 10 days post with Sloan, but love to hear kind of how how that recovery was even before, so kind of those days afterwards, and then also kind of the weeks and months after. Yeah, with, with Sloan, I, it sounds weird, but I had given myself permission to hunker down and do nothing. And I remember with Kai, I felt just overwhelmed again with my postpartum recovery and that revolving door of people coming through the house and not knowing how to set boundaries. And you mentioned that in your course as well, not knowing how to set boundaries. And with Finn, I remember saying like, whoa, like for, for visitors, I was like, okay, you can come on these days or at this time. Um, and with Sloan, I was like, now these are my boundaries. And I really let myself, yeah, just lay in bed, lay on the couch, um, enjoy the cuddles and, and telling myself, like, don't set a schedule. Don't tell yourself that you have to put the baby down in the crib or whatever, like just enjoy these moments and letting myself do that emotionally felt at peace and physically allowed me to feel at peace and relaxed versus um, with my second, I already had a toddler and I felt coming in like, okay, recovery was good. I had just like a stitch. I was like, my pelvic floor is going, I can walk, I can do this. I can, I can lift the toddler um, just because I could and I still did it. And with Sloan, my mentality going in was like, just because I can doesn't mean I'm going to. So just because I feel great or physically feel like I could walk or I could lift the children or I can do the groceries, blah, blah, blah. This time I was like, just because I can doesn't mean I will because I know my body deserves the rest and the recovery that it like it needs to go forward. Um, so I enjoyed that. And I remember like people were like, so when do you want us to come over? And I was like, in a few days, I'm like, I'm still on my couch in my sweatpants, um, just enjoying it. And it felt really good. And I'm grateful that I had four weeks before this whole thing pandemic happened because those four weeks were magical. And now I have like, everyone's at home. So, and, and I listened to the podcast the other day about the pelvic floor symptoms during the pandemic. And I reflected on it afterwards at 2 a.m. during a breastfeeding uh, session. And I was like, oh my, I didn't take that into consideration. And now I can, I can compare those four weeks and now, and I'm like, there's a difference. Like now I feel my body's like in high stress mode, like go, 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 go. Like we need to entertain, we need to breastfeed. We, like, so I don't have that like downtime, but yeah, recovery has been really well. And I had a... Um, 
uh, consult with a public health physio virtually, which was amazing. I had all the information that I would have gotten in person. Um, and now I can set goals. Even if I'm trained in prenatal and postnatal fitness, it's great to have feedback from someone else that's giving you certain exercises for certain goals because you sometimes forget for yourself. You're like, oh yeah, like I give this to people and then how do I apply it to myself again? So yeah, I, f I feel really great, more relaxed this time around, giving myself a lot more grace and just less pressure to get back into things. And I'm moving my body um, in ways that feel good and I'm, I'm progressing with certain exercises that I had for goals. Yeah, that's wonderful. And I know, yeah, you're still kind of in that, we still call it the early postpartum period. Yeah. Um, even though I know, I think sometimes when people talk about people think early postpartum is in the first maybe couple weeks, <laughs> maybe the fourth trimester, the three months postpartum, but really, you know, that postpartum, that first year is really I, I would consider early postpartum and then, well, not everyone, but a lot of people talk about, you know, you are postpartum going forward beyond that mm -hmm. for years, right? So it's great to hear kind of how that experience has been for you. And yeah, and before the pandemic. So that that episode, we talked about stress in your pelvic floor and mm -hmm. just the effects of stress and how that can can be. So it's interesting to see how you felt that within yourself. Mm -hmm. um, and so what would you what would be a piece of advice you would share with um, our listeners who are going into birth and especially that, that first labor and birth that um, they haven't had that experience yet? Um, for sure. If you can find really good resources where you can get knowledge and education, not that it's going to change your birth outcome because sometimes there's things you don't control when it comes to birth, but feeling relaxed going into it where you can embrace the experience and you can find positivity and joy throughout the experience because I can compare my first and my third experience like my first I felt no control my third I was literally like I can be in those present moments in my head versus my first felt like an out-of-body experience and just that knowledge and education really made a difference for me going into it moving your body during pregnancy whether it's yoga, whether it's just stretching, mobility can really help just feel good emotionally and mentally and, and physically as well. And also, I think I, I wish I would have known or someone would have told me is that you don't need to have birthing experiences to have a positive experience and to find your voice and to know that you can advocate for yourself. Because I, I felt like every birth after my first I was like okay well this time around I'm going to do this and I'm going to say this and then this third time around I'm really going to put my foot down and you don't have to have an experience to advocate for yourself and ask the questions and gain the knowledge and I discuss a lot of this with my mamas and other health professionals like the lack of resources that we have shouldn't stop us from having beautiful, positive experiences. And there's great resources like on the internet that you can find um, that can really help you feel positive going into it. And also preparing for that postpartum chapter. Cause for me, that was overwhelming. Giving birth is overwhelming in one way. And then transitioning into motherhood is overwhelming in so many ways, physically, emotionally, and mentally. And I think we forget that just because we've given birth and we're not pregnant anymore doesn't mean that we're not going through physical changes and 
mental and emotional feelings associated to those physical sensations as well. Yeah, I think that's such great advice, you know, whether it's preparing and then through that preparation that you can really then surrender, which it sounds like that's, um, especially with Sloan's birth, you felt you kind of had prepared as much as you could, and then you could really let go mm-hmm. into it. So I think that's so helpful. And to also hear how preparing during pregnancy can help with that postpartum experience. Oh, absolutely. So thank you so much for sharing all of that. And I know our listeners are going to want to know how they can find you online in any of the upcoming classes or uh, events you have going on. Yeah. So like Anita said, you can find me on Instagram at the mama movement or Facebook at the mama movement.ca as well as my website, uh, movement.ca. And I just opened the studio a year ago here in Moncton um, and kept my classes in person, but we're going to shift in offering some online classes soon. So online prenatal classes and online uh, postpartum classes as well give uh, as much support as we can, especially during this time um, to mama. So you can, yeah, hop on to those uh, social media platforms and then you'll get all the information of when that, when those classes will roll out. Amazing. Amazing. Well, thank you so much for being on and I can't wait to share this episode. Thank you so much, Anita. We hope you enjoyed listening to this episode of the To Birth and Beyond podcast. You can find any links or resources we discussed in the show notes at tobirthandbeyond.com. And if you enjoyed today's show, we would love for you to leave us a review on iTunes and subscribe to the To Birth and Beyond podcast in iTunes or Stitcher. 